It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Let's start with a story that not just Cork City and County, but the entire country and abroad is talking about and has been talking since Friday. Convicted killer no long is set to spend the rest of his life in jail after his historic conviction on Friday for the murder of vulnerable Cork woman Nora Sheehan 42 years ago. The conviction followed a Garda cold case review and hinged on advances in DNA and forensic evidence since the killing. Remarkable scientific stuff and... uh, We'll talk more about that in a moment. I'm joined right now by Liz Dunphy from the Irish Examiner, who covered uh, some of the trial. Liz, good morning. Good morning, Gareth. How are you doing? Very well. Uh, I've been reading so much material over the weekend on this. It doesn't make for easy reading, that's for sure. But it, it made Irish legal history, this case, didn't it? It did. It's the longest running murder trial in Ireland. I mean, it's an incredible achievement, really, after such a long time to bring, you know, No Long, who has now been convicted of murder, to justice. It must have been an incredibly difficult process for, you know, her poor family who, you know, she had three sons who were left without a mother grandchildren who she never got to meet. Um, her family actually gave a really powerful uh, victim impact statement after the trial about, you know, what her loss meant to them and how difficult it's been to them. Also, I was kind of struck when when I was actually in the in the trial that, you know, no long would walk in. Often in a murder trial, the the suspect is already in custody, you know, so so they're kind of either brought in, you know, by guardie mm-hmm. in handcuffs or they're appearing via video link. But this time, you know, he was walking free into the court and you know sitting amongst the family essentially sitting just you know meters feet away from them and um yeah it just must have been so difficult for them you know you just hear such harrowing harrowing evidence um about you know what happened to her what what was presumed to have happened to her the state that her body was found in and to listen to that knowing that the suspect is is so close to you and a free man and has been a free man for all those 42 years you know it's it must be incredibly difficult but luckily um they got the results that that I presume they were hoping for and you know he's he's behind bars now and realistically you know he's 74 now and he got the mandatory life sentence um if you're convicted of murder you get a life sentence so a life sentence you can now apply for parole after 12 years but the average sentence, the average time you spend in jail is about 18, 19, 20 years. So, you know, realistically, he, he, he will most likely die in jail. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah. Um, this is, it, it's 42 years ago now, Liz. Uh, the, a whole generation has grown up probably never here, uh, never, never having heard of Nora Sheehan or no long. Tell us a little bit about Nora Sheehan. Yeah, so Nora Sheehan, um, she was a 54-year-old mother of three when she died. She was originally from Crookstown um, in, in County Cork, and um, she was said to have lived by her family, lived a very, you know, happy, normal life in Crookstown. And then she met who would become her husband, um, uh, James uh, Sheehan, and she moved up to the city. Uh, they lived in, in the south side of, of the city, in the suburbs, and um you know, she she was very much loved by her family, by all accounts, by the sounds of it. Uh, she had three sons, as I said. She lived, she was described by her family as, you know, a modern woman ahead of her time. She wanted to work and contribute um, to the family and she went out to work in a hospital. But the, the court heard that, unfortunately, she had some kind of an injury, an accident while working. And um, I think she became kind of ill after that. Perhaps it, it was a head injury, we don't yeah. know, but her her um, behaviour was described as being a bit eccentric um, after that and she was also described as being a bit vulnerable but um, her family said that she was very opinionated and you know loving, caring, she loved children she loved um, animals um, but also it was described in course that um, she had this habit of kind of waving at um, waving at passing vehicles and and trying to talk to people about this, this kind of theory that she had that there were some kinds of somewhat nefarious goings on at a local hospital and she'd kind of call out to traffic to open the boots and bring out the bodies and there was some of this bizarre behaviour kind of um, described in court um, which was also seen unfortunately on, on the last night that she, she was seen alive um, but it was also said that while she was working at that hospital that she used to bring her kind of lovely warm country charm to the people working there and really you know enrich you know the, the patients lives there um, so all around a kind of warm, loving, very much loved person, um, but also with some vulnerabilities. Um, so, yeah, on the last day that she was seen alive, she there'd been a dog fight outside her house and she had gone outside to break up the dog fight and unfortunately got bitten on the arm in the process. So she went to the nearby South Infirmary Hospital um, where she was, I think, treated for tetanus and her arm was bandaged up and she walked home. And it was it was on that walk home that um, a number of witnesses said they saw her waving at cars, um, that behaviour that I mentioned earlier. Mm. And I think she was last seen at 4 or 5 a.m. that morning out waving, waving at cars. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the last sighting of her live, unfortunately. That was at five past four on the morning of the 7th of June. That was Brian Coleman had left his girlfriend's house and saw a woman in a long overcoat on Vicar Street waving at cars. Tell me That's about... That's it, exactly. T- t- no long... Uh, a sex offender with 31 previous convictions. Can you take us back a little bit and tell us what you know about no long... Yeah, so um, no long. Um, actually, I think also came from from a really loving kind of stable family, um, but he um, had a different trajectory in life definitely um, than Mrs. Sheehan. He, uh, he he spent some time in the UK in the sixties when he worked with the the British Army. Um, he basically wrapped up, as you said, 31 previous convictions. Um, there was also an additional, it, it was heard in court when the jury wasn't present, that there was also uh, a rape allegation, um, which which Gardy were investigating, but with the witness to, decided not to make a formal statement about in the end. 
Um, but there was a, a sexual assault um, charge dating back from, I think it was 1971. So about 10 years before Mrs. Sheehan um, disappeared, you know. Um, so that was that was an old, it was under older legislation. So I think the charge was an attempt to ravish, ravish an attempt at carnal knowledge as opposed to more modern um, sexual assault charges. Um, there was also a, a kind of common assault charge in with that as well. So, you know, by all accounts, a nasty, a nasty attack. So he was a convicted sex offender at the time of um, of Mrs. Sheen's disappearance, um, and that that record probably alerted Gordy to the fact that he could be a suspect in this case as well. He was actually in the area where Mrs. Sheen was living, um, visiting a friend just the night before. Um, you know, so he, he could have been kind of placed roughly in the area, and he was actually arrested by Gardie in the days after her body disappeared and he was actually charged as well a short time later he was charged by the DPP with her murder um, in July so she, she her body was found in June 1981 and um, her he, he was charged by the DPP with her murder in July so like he was picked up by Gardie a very very short time later a charge was made very swiftly um, but there, there were just a lot of um, a lot, a lot of, of very problems. unusual yeah. happenings. Yeah, yeah. And very unusual happenings, really. So the the um, pathologist who had conducted the postmortem on Mrs. Sheehan's body, he actually died in August. So so basically, the, you know, no long was charged in July. And then in August, the pathologist died. And at the time, evidence couldn't be admitted, couldn't be heard in court by by um, a witness who was deceased. So a, a law came up, uh, came into force in 1992, which changed that. But at the time, you couldn't you couldn't hear evidence from a deceased witness. So so without the without you know the pathologist report yeah. they felt that a cause of death wasn't possible and they couldn't proceed with the trial so it was thrown out so i mean he was incredibly lucky i suppose you'd have to say in a way that 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 happened and incredibly unlucky for mrs sheen's family and you know for 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 people who unfortunately suffered assaults as they did afterwards um you know he had a number of charges for assault i think the most recent one was in 2014 um and I, the judge actually remarked in, in that trial how volatile he was and how unusual it was for a man and i think he was in his 60s or a, a, a man older at the time you know to be involved in such a, a violent assault i think he was he was um charged with you know trying to assault someone with with an iron bar so quite serious assault charges um so yeah four of his convictions were actually in the uk as i said he spent some time in the uk when he was working for the british army and i was speaking to a a very renowned um former detective in in the uk over the weekend who said that you know his dna profile could potentially be used in the future to be linked to any cold case investigations that they have going on over there in our in areas where where long may have spent some time Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So who knows? Uh, a, a, number of, a number of details 
only became evident following the conviction of Long uh, last Friday. Now, this would be the 11-member jury since July 13th have been shown some very graphic details and have been uh, told during the proceedings of the precise details. But there were there were a number of details that were withheld from the jury. Can you tell me, Liz, why did they do that? Just for the benefit of those of us listening who might not be aware of legal argument and how some information can be withheld from the, the case itself. Yeah, there was actually quite a lot of evidence withheld from the case itself. One thing which is always withheld is um, generally is previous convictions. So, you know, we mentioned that he had 31 previous convictions, including some for sexual assault um, and assault causing harm. So um, basically they would be withheld generally anyway, because it would be viewed that they could prejudice the trial so that if, you know, a jury is supposed to judge um, to make their judgment based on the facts presented in front of them and the facts alone. So any kind of prejudicial material, any information which which could be seen to, you know, sway um, a jury's decision in one way or the other, which isn't presented as fact in the case is 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 omitted from court um so so that would be quite standard that you know previous convictions would be would not be heard in court um and then other other evidence also wasn't heard um which uh, kind of on, on similar similar um for similar reasons basically so like he you know the fact that he was actually arrested and charged with her murder back in 1981 that was also omitted from court and then there was a lot of legal argument, you know, where the defense actually did definitely, you know, put up a, a strong fight. Um, they so a lot of a lot of their points were taken up in legal arguments. So they argued that you know there had been culpable delay, so that the guardi basically the a guard cold case investigation unit was opened in Ireland in two thousand and eight, and they picked up Nora Sheehan's murder very quickly, um, and basically the the defense under Michael Delaney SC. Um, was arguing that, you know, there was culpable delay in this because they started reinvestigating in 2008 and it wasn't obviously brought to trial until so recently. Um, so all that was heard by the judge, which didn't really have any bearing on the jury's um, decision that they had to make either. Um, and then there was other evidence which wasn't admitted. So say back back again in 1981, there were um, fibre matches taken from a brown jumper that was um, found in, in No Long's house, which were also found on... Um, Mrs. Sheen's body, um, that wasn't that wasn't um, that wasn't given to the jury because mm-hmm. um, the Garda who had performed a search warrant, who had conducted the search warrant, um, basically they had also died unfortunately. So that evidence wasn't admissible. Um, so things like that. Um, you know, or if there'd been procedural errors in in the way evidence was collected, um, then that wasn't admitted, and then then the jury wasn't wasn't told about that either. So largely, usually, it largely evidence which which could be seen to prejudice, prejudice the trial, which wasn't established fact, I suppose. And it's fifteen years. I think it was two thousand and eight. Am I right when the serious crime review team? was tasked with re-examining the murder. And as part of the review, this microscopic slide, which was at the centre of the prosecution's evidence containing semen retrieved uh, from her body, was reassessed. Um, and and with an eye, they say, to, pati- to modern scientific developments. This was at the, the centre of prosecution's argument, wasn't it? 
Yes, it was absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so, so a swab, uh, was taken at the time that Mrs. Sheen's body, um, was found and a forensic scientist, um, a scientist happened to be visiting at the time, uh, a, a doctor, Mr. Timothy Creedon, and he became involved in the case because he happened to be, I think, holidaying in a, in a Shannon at the time and preserved, um, that swab, um, in glass slides. At the time, we didn't have have the the technology, the DNA science, to be able to to use that really at the time. But um, later in two thousand eight, when that um, cold case review team was established, they they did um, find that swab again, or that's that's that sample again, and it was sent off to the UK for analysis because um, they had the the technology at the time to develop DNA from from samples with low amounts of DNA. Um, it, that that kind of process of DNA analysis was challenged by the defence um, in the case um, because that form of DNA analysis was um, overtaken by another form afterwards. So I think it became obsolete in, in 2012, I think. So it was only used for a few years. But um, but yeah, that there was significant um, significant DNA and forensic evidence really in general that linked the very, very um, clearly linked long um, to, to, the mur- to, to the murder, to Mrs. Sheen's body, essentially. You, you, when you were in court, you, you obviously got to see No Long on quite a few occasions. What sort of a demeanour had he about him? Um, I understand that he had a bit of a swagger about him when he arrived in court. Um, yeah, I mean, quite quite inscrutable a lot of the time, really, while he was in in the in the box but yeah when you'd see him when I first saw him walking into court I recognized his face from photos but I I didn't immediately know that it was him you know and um yeah he seemed quite confident I suppose and calm um obviously it's it's so hard to know what's going on in some inside someone's head you know people Mm -hmm. can put on acts of bravado and everything um when they're going through stressful situations as a kind of defense mechanism but yeah he did seem quite um yeah I suppose confident and calm he sat with uh, when I was there I saw him sitting with his partner I think they've been together for about 25 years and um, they were very they seemed very kind of close and they'd sit you know with with legs crossed towards each other um, so he, he always he always seemed to be supported in court when I was there um, and yeah 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 he seemed quite quite confident and calm I suppose um, what was going on inside his head obviously I don't know I wasn't there when the judgment was delivered but um, I read some of the excellent court copies supplied um, by Alison O'Riordan, which I think made it into all the papers, and um, it was it was noted that he was crying at that stage. Um, but um, yeah, who knows what was going on inside his head at the time? Okay, Liz, nice to talk to you this morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Thanks. That's Liz Dunphy there from the Examiner talking about the murder trial of No Long. Uh, um, the the impact state, the impact, the emotional victim impact statement uh, was heartbreaking. Um, and um, Long had claimed at a pretrial hearing when the jury was not present that when he was questioned by the Garthas murder squad in 1981, he was beaten. He also claimed he was brought into a dark room where his head was repeatedly immersed in glass containers holding what he was told were body parts. Now, this was thrown out uh, by retired Detective Inspector Jerry O'Carroll who was part of the murder squad team on the investigation in 1981 and he described those claims as extraordinary nonsense and beyond uh, beyond comprehension. 
so as I say, the uh, newspapers over the weekend have a um, huge amount of information in relation to that. But also, for those of you who couldn't understand that, uh, facts that the jury did not get to hear, there was a huge amount of information that was withheld from the jury because, as Liz Dunphy said there, it could effectively prejudice the progress of the case. So, in other words, if you're getting a lot of uh, information in relation to previous convictions, well, then that could overshadow the evidence that is meant to be available to the jury and only that evidence. So, consequently, they didn't actually get to hear that amount of information uh, until after the conviction was made. Courts 96 FM. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.